1: And welcome to Volume 8 of Comedy Album Book Club. Your regular host, Jason DeLine, is homesick. So instead, I will be hosting tonight. My name is Helena Marie, or you can call me Mrs. Jason DeLine. I am an actress, a producer, and a student of improv at The Second City. And this is the monthly live podcast show where we listen to an influential comedy album and then talk about it with other comedy pros and fans alike. If you're listening to the podcast, it's best to first do as we here in Toronto's social capital theater have just done and listen to Ben Elton's 1987 album motor Mouse Benjamin Charles Elton born May 3rd 1959 is a British Australian comedian author playwright actor and director. He was a part of London's alternative comedy movement in the 1980s and became a writer on the series such as Young Ones and Black Adder, as well as continuing as a stand-up comedian on stage and television. His style in the 1980s was left-wing political satire. Since then, he's published 15 novels and written the musicals We Will Rock You and Love Never Dies, and which is the sequel to Phantom of the Opera. His novels cover the dystopian comedy and crime genres. And now I'd like to introduce to you our panelists tonight. I'm going to start with Mr. Neil Jones. He is a writer and director. He is a founding member of Radio Vault and Radio Radio Project X, for which he adapted numerous short science fiction stories, Most recently, he wrote a short comedy script called Cheerful Town, which was produced at Vault Fest 2018, an original audio shorts extravaganza, and London's biggest arts festival. He's also a practicing psychotherapist, so Mr. Neil Jones, welcome. Thank you, thank you. Thanks so much for for coming here today, Neil. And uh, you are the one who chose this album today. I did, and
2: I'm uh, (laughs) not exactly sure why after hearing (laughs) it a couple
1: of times. Well, I'm sure we'll find some reasons in a few Mm -hmm. moments. Um, My second guest is Matt Ardill. He is a self-proclaimed comedy nerd, blogger, producer extraordinaire of our show, Comedy Album Book Club. Uh, when uh, asked why he wanted to be a part of Comedy Album Book Club, he said he is a long-time lover of comedy and thought it would be great to bring some comedy gems to life. So thank you so much. Thank We're you. here because of you, I guess. <laughs> well, just glad to help. Exactly. Great. And our third guest tonight is Mr. Kyle Scott. Hey, he is a Dungeon Master of Canadian podcast winner for Best Game Podcast called Caverns and Comedians. And currently he has another podcast in development, which he says you'll need to follow him to find out more. Just
0: around on the street. Just around.
1: Okay, perfect. (laughs) Well, this is Comedy Album Book Club, and uh, we've just listened to the album. And I guess I'll start with you, Neil. You can uh, try to get into the wheres, uh, hows, whys of uh, choosing this album.
2: Well, um... I've been a big fan of Ben Elton for many years, ever since I saw Young Ones back in probably 85. Um, Ben is one of those interesting guys who sort of, he was really pushing the edge with comedy back in the early 80s, kind of coming out of the punk movement, you know, with Alexi Sale, and they were just throwing everything at the wall to see what sticks. So with the Young Ones, I think there was a lot of really innovative um, things happening with it. Like, for example, it was one of the first comedy sketch comedy shows to have, like, cutaways, like, you know, we're all used to cutting cutaways in Family Guy, but they were doing it back in 84. Mm-hmm. And I remember a really great one where it's a set in a student house, and they zoom in on a picture on a wall, and it's two guys in chains walking up a gangplank, and one says, I can't believe they're sending us to Australia for all the pies we stole. You know, we just stole pies. And the other guy says, well, that and all the murders we did. <laughs> so there's that. and then they cut back to the, to the main series. So I thought, that's really cool. Like, that was the first time I'd seen something like that. And then, uh, after Young Ones, Ben started doing some stand-up, and I started hearing that on cassette, and that was pretty funny. And we heard some of that tonight. And then he went on to do, like, lots of other shows, like Blackadder is what he's most known for. So, yeah, so I thought it would be a good thing to go back to the 80s and look at some of that early British comedy that came out of, like, sort of the alternative comedy scene of the 80s.
1: And where were you at that time when you first discovered him? What was going on in your life? Well, it was
2: just, uh, I grew up in a British family, so there was always like, you know, my father liked, unfortunately, Benny Hill. So, (laughs) you know, I was subjected to that kind of stuff. My mother liked, you know, are you being served. And then I found like Monty Python and and all the really good British comedy. I think my love of that grew from there.
1: Are you a Mr. Bean fan as well? Yeah, Mr. Bean. Yeah, really okay. great. Yeah, yeah excellent. <laughs> uh, Matt, what brought you to? Was this your first time hearing the album, or uh, you know I, I mean, I've
3: been familiar with Ben Elton's other work, his comedy writing, um, I mean, he's done a lot <laughs> of mm-hmm. stuff. I mean, and he worked with you know Hugh Laurie and Stephen Fry, and uh, so that's where I. This was the first time when I started listening to the album for this podcast that I've actually listened to his stand-up. Um but but as as an appreciator of you know, I mean he, he you know, he's one of those people who's contributed a lot to British comedy television. Um so that's how I was familiar with him. Like Blackadder, Black Adder, the first series of Black Adder, is for a history and Shakespeare nerd, it's comedy gold. For he didn't a, he didn't write the first one. No 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 exactly. <laughs> but for anybody who, who just enjoys comedy right. it kind of sucked. it's, it's definitely <laughs> it, comedy bronze exactly exactly <laughs> yeah. but uh, but when, starting season two when he stepped in that's when the, they, they changed the entire dynamic the you started getting like some really punchy jokes and the structure changed and you know it brought to life that social commentary that seems to run through all of his comedy um and and that that's you know where i came from when I was like, oh, and hey, he did stand-up. That'll be interesting here. Mm-hmm. And it's, it was interesting to hear because it's different um, than, than the, the kind of material. I guess it's, it's, it's the presentation style that right. makes it different. So, yeah, I was like, I was like I'm, I'd be really interested in, in giving that a listen.
1: Good, good. Well, glad to have you. And Kyle, what about you? Had, were you a fan? Did you...
0: No uh, Ben, at all? I think I backed into him the same way the other two did. Uh, I grew up a big fan of the Oxbridge comics, the uh, the Monty Pythons, and obsessed with Stephen Fry, and the first time I really became aware of Ben Elton as an individual was I went back and found old episodes of a show called Alfresco, which was oh, a yeah, yeah. sketch yeah. comedy show with Fry and Laurie and Emma Thompson, and I think it's alexi sailor robbie coltrane and ben elton not known for his acting (laughs) for very good reasons (laughs) and i then became aware of his impact on black adder and even shows that i had randomly watched uh the thin blue line which is ron atkinson's cop sitcom which i thought was written by richard curtis because it's so safe and traditional but is actually ben elton there's this Mm -hmm. He gets a lot of credit for the alternative post-punk, but there's also the side that wrote We Will Rock You, which is (laughs) very crap pleasing and commercial. And there's something I kind of like about that dichotomy I guess he has, where his love of language is very evident in his TV writing, where he's the one who came up, with a lot of the the flowery black adder expressions like he's mad, he's so mad he's madder than Mad Jack Mid the winner of last year's Mr. Madman competition. <laughs> but then his stand up, which I also saw a bit of from the eighties and we were just listening to, is not like that at all. And it is it's very direct, it's very almost aggressive. He's doing it at the same time as Andrew Dice Clay, but with Almost a modern 2018 set of political values.
1: So. Very much so. Yeah. yeah, yeah. For something said in 1987, you would think it, it almost all stands true to today.
3: Yeah, and I mean, li- listening to it, it, it is definitely a social, a socially conscious uh, narrative that he's putting out in his stand-up. But it, it's like, like you said, it's it's really aggressive. So it's mm-hmm. not something that you know. Like listening to it is not what I expected, given the, the 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 flowery language and the and the way he structures so much of his material. So it's an interesting juxtaposition. Seeing this guy who's like, you know, writes, you know, you know he wrote a, a a musical based on the songs of Rod Stewart. So it's <laughs> it's like okay, that's an interesting place to come from, but then you know. To hear him talk about penises <laughs> right in but, depth but, but don't, <laughs> you, don't
2: don't you think that the the, the character that most resembles Ben Elman is the flash art character in in uh, in the Blackadder
3: series you know, oh the, yes, the real yes. male We're, character who's, which who's yeah very, which quite is, um.
1: Uh, remind me—it's been a while since I've seen Blackadder. Uh, so
2: Captain Flashheart is this sort of guy that shows up now and again. He's like
1: the
3: nemesis of Blackadder, yeah. and he's everything Blackadder isn't. He? He's Rick Mail from The Young
1: One. He's so confident.
2: Yeah. He's suave. He's a bit of a, a bit of a ladies' man. He's, he's a lad,
0: he's, and everybody loves him. Everybody,
2: everybody, everybody loves him. <laughs> women love him. Men, men love, love him. him. Yep. No, men envy him more than anything. Yeah. But he's a bit of a blowhard as well. But he's very aggressive, and I think that's—I think that's Ben. I think that's, well yeah that's, and, and
3: and in this context, hearing his stand up now that becomes clear yeah, it's yeah, like yeah. it's it's that's him putting that voice in there, yeah. and that this was in the the depths of the worst part of thatcher era England, yeah. um like there's a lot of social and class driven comedy that we're not sort of familiar with today, because you know, like class even in the u k it still exists. Class culture and the class war uh, really does still exist, but it's sort of diminished to the point. But back then, you you know, squatting was still common. There were people who couldn't afford to live, so they just moved into a house and stayed there. And you know, you had coal miner strikes and people being driven out of their their the houses and homes, unable to feed themselves. And I think that's at the core of his comedy is that anger that 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 listening to the stand up is like, oh, and, and it ki- kind of makes me reframe some elements of his other works, mm-hmm. at least his earlier works during this time that seemed a little more safe. I mean, with, like the young ones, which would be about the same time or a little earlier, it was sort of very absurdist so it but also
2: very anti establishment
3: it was yeah so it's it's just it seemed like as a canadian watching it without the benefit of a you know a british family to contextualize it it just seemed like silliness to me right. but now with the more, like taking it into this context it really helps me re contextualize that into the social commentary that i think he was shooting to to create in that show and in his other other works
1: right and you can definitely hear it in the in in the album too He goes from you know quite lighthearted off the top to getting angrier and angrier throughout the pieces yeah. you know catering to those um those ideals that he wants to really push forward uh especially like it was interesting the uh was it the kid with the violin lessons
0: yeah. <laughs> yeah, he's very Everything he was talking about is very external, that there is a set of – there's a group of people out there who are wrong and are enemies. Mm-hmm. And us in this room, the me and you of the audience, we're on the right side and these are all the people and these are these are the people who are making the world awful and aren't they awful and we should be mad at them. Is basically his thesis throughout the whole thing.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. So, uh, for, from, my perspective, uh, this, this was my first time listening to the, to the album. Um, I normally come to the podcast as an audience member and like to listen to it for the first time fresh, uh, to just kind of experience it in the room. But, um, as I quickly prepared for replacing Jason tonight, I was, um, reading into him and of course, Black Adder was something I was familiar with and, um, uh, now I clearly have to see the uh, continuation of Phantom of the Opera because I'm a fan of the original <laughs> Phantom of the Opera. I have no idea. Have, have any of you seen the... No? no, no. <laughs>
0: okay, I <laughs> have not seen We Will Rock You, which most people describe as the worst thing they've ever seen <laughs> on stage. <It's laughs> the worst <musical> ever. I <laughs> did read the plot summary and Broadway sh- uh, musical shows, usually the plot is indecipherable at best, but this was just madness. It Felt like someone was trying to describe a 70s prog rock album, which is essentially kind of what Queen did
1: anyways. (laughs)
3: Yeah.
1: (laughs) Well, you know, at least he has some diversity, that's for sure. Because actually the piece that he's done that I'm the most familiar with was um, the exam sketch from Mr. Bean. I don't know if any of you remember that one. You know, struggling there for a good 30 minutes or however long the exam is and then finally realizes in the last two minutes that He's been using the wrong paper, the wrong exam. And it's so it's so interesting because it's totally different. You know, I saw I watched that before I came. It's totally different from this album. And, and he has such a broad view of comedy. There's so many different styles in here. Yeah.
0: I think it's a little telling that that episode of Mr. Bean, written by Ben Elton, is one of the few ones where Mr. Bean talks, where... Ben Elton can't resist even giving a <laughs> silent character dialogue. Yeah,
1: <laughs> yeah it was interesting because I was curious after after I watched that. I thought, how did they write a script for Mister Bean? Because there's no, I mean, hardly any dialogue, you know, and it's all just it's all just description, really. If you go through it, very specific description. Yeah.
0: Never yeah. actually thought about. I should have. At some point, gone and read a Mr. Bean script.
1: Right. <laughs> I know, I wonder if there's a script. I think it all comes
2: out of everyone's head, I and mean, they work it out as they're coming. No,
1: no, think. you can find it. At what least, it? Yeah. yeah. I don't know oh. if it's a transcription or or what. But um, yeah, fascinating. Okay, let's get into let's get into some of the the sketches that we the pieces that we heard tonight. Um, does anybody have a favorite from from what we were listening to?
4: I like
3: this stuff about advertising. It's, it mm. sort of. It was the gentlest example of what he was trying to do, and I mean you know I like comedy is about transgression and 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 blowing through boundaries and illuminating things and it was the most accessible um because like it, it's 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 the same things he was doing with that kid in the car with the violin and and you know yabo kind of rugby players who are super homophobic and mm-hmm. and jerky. But who are then? So it's all the same kind of thing, but it's done in a way that is like, oh, okay, I can I can see this. This is something that makes sense to me. Whereas like, Coca Cola is just, you know, feeding us this line, and these guys are like said on on the wrong side that they're taking advantage of us. Um, So I I I really like that one just because it just it was accessible and easy to get the point, and it sort of spoke to his entire thesis, of. You know we are being manipulated by these classes of people, who just view us as commodities to trade, and it it's, it holds up now. I mean, when you hear, you know, Facebook has sold all of this data <laughs> right. to to co- companies that then use it to fix elections, or you know, you know, Uber, you know, they they have a data breach and all of our stuff gets out, and it, it's just it, it remains contemporary and it remains. You know, relevant, um, regardless of, you know, the 20 odd, 30 odd years. Well, that it's it interesting.
2: Um, one of the earlier episodes of Comedy on Book Club, we listened to uh, Button Up Mind, of, Button Down Mind of Bob Newhart. Yeah. And, you know, that's like, what, 20, maybe 22 or twenty two years earlier than this album? And there was a certain reverence for advertisers at that point, right? You yeah. Know, he, he was uh, an advertiser. He was. He yeah. No, well, he well, can't be count no. like, yeah. yeah. mm-hmm. But what's interesting is, like, we see, like, by the 80s, people are getting cynical about advertising. And that's really, that's that's where sort of the, some of the comedy
3: of this one comes from the cynicism of like. And realizing that, hey, yeah. we're being played yeah, here. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it, it's, it's just, it, and it, it's, so much of this material is continues to be relevant. Like if I heard that not knowing it's from 87, I could easily see a lot of that material being completely like something I'd have been here in a comedy club today. Yeah. Uh, and it's, it's just so a, true. It's, it, it's powerful and visceral and timeless in a lot of ways which is kind of sad because that means the same issues that we have from
2: 1987 (laughs) yeah
1: i know when i heard the when he was talking about the tampon commercial i was like yes yes this is so this is still it's got to be the blue liquid for like why i have heard at least
0: five different up like about three months into doing stand-up people do that basic bit again and again. It's just something that keeps coming up, and it's a bit first thought, I guess. But if he's the first one to have it, then more power to him. Right,
1: yeah. And that's a good question, you know, um, in terms of the knowledge base that all you guys have. Do you think that he would have been the first one talking about things like this? Well, he was
2: talking about how tampon ads were illegal in in Britain, UK, and that was probably, like, until, like, a couple of years before he recorded this. Yeah. So... You know, in the late '80s, it was illegal to advertise tampons.
0: True. You can it also kind of contextualizes what exactly an alternative comic was, because there was it was an actual alternative to what the like the Des O'Connor and like the Bruce Forsyth oh, okay. old guard of comedy in Britain, which we would think of basically if you think of a 1950s comic on the Ed Sullivan show, that's what comedy, at least in Britain, was up until
3: 1978. Right. And then. And the alternative to that mainstream being like Benny Hill. Yeah. Like, which is. Who so was still quite popular. In, oh, in, yes. In, in, I, in, I, so. I, in the 80s, I was watching him on, you know, Fox 29, I think. Like the you know, TV from Buffalo. They were, it would air him at 10.30 at night. And I would go to my friend's house and we'd have sleepovers. And 12, 13 year old boys getting very confused watching a man <laughs> with cotton balls on his chest chase buxom women around it's very not right
2: ben had that joke right when we talked about like how his penis was large and the crowd went a bit crazy so well
3: there's the benny hill within
1: us all coming out exactly as
3: left wing as you might be you got a little benny hill
1: in you it's just the nature of it and he did bring up penises actually speaking of those penis eye Penises.
3: If you let any man talk long enough,
1: it's just yeah. going to come up. <laughs> <on.
3: laughs> yeah. Our entire life revolves around that in some way, shape, or form, <laughs> and it's just about admitting it and moving past it. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, I like that the, that it, he preemptively talked about the periods and then moved into penis territory because I feel like he gets all the women on board for the conversation. And like, okay, now we'll listen to you talk about about the penises. But again, with that with that bit too, it's the same thing. It's it's. It could, you could probably see it today, no problem, because it's so universal.
3: Well, I mean, that's... You know, un- the, the sad reality is dicks as human beings and men's dicks are two things that men will always talk about. Like, mm-hmm. we will always circle back to that some way, shape, or form. So uh, I think
2: he's trying to have it both ways, I think, a bit. He is, he is, <laughs> he's which like, is interesting. Oh, I'm it's gonna like, I'm going to tell your dick joke, but then I'm going to make fun of it. But I know you're also laughing at the dick joke.
3: Yeah, and it's, it's kind of like him deconstructing comedy in its nature as well. Like, he's telling a joke and then deconstructing that joke on the fly, which is sort of interesting in a way, because it's like, he respects the medium, but he, at the same time, it's not sacred. Because for so many comedians, it's like, the structure is is prime. No, but I think he's
2: also like reveling in the fact he's getting a laugh from the straight dick joke too.
3: Yeah, he but it, and it. he's taking taking the piss out of the audience who are right. laughing at that as yeah. well. So he's he's having you know like you said having it both ways. He's you know making his cake and eating it too. Which was kind of
2: like you know when he, when the young ones was popular, it was it was very much like let's try anything and everything, like let's see what sticks, right? right.
3: Yeah. South Park so, of the early eighties was yeah. It totally was South Park by lefties, not libertarians. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Uh, was there any part of the album that uh, I mean? I know we only took we took some excerpts from it, but anything that we heard tonight, that you felt was redundant or just uh, not relevant anymore?
0: I when he was on the long uh, bits about the drink, where he's going off about uh, people who drink lager, and then the the campaign for real ale people. That's very sort of facile stuff. And then he has this one moment where he starts talking about how uh, everything he says is a lie. That's his old point. Is, can you imagine what a true joke would be? I thought he was going to go into something on that because that felt very interesting and mm-hmm. very like this can be something really deep and funny and bounces right off. It goes right back into talking about lager and makes a joke about a doctor pissing in a guy's mouth. Yeah. Which got one of the biggest laughs. Uh <laughs> Even from the people sitting in the audience here, <laughs> <laughs> right? <laughs>
1: because everybody can relate to what that yeah, what the ale tastes like, the lager tastes like.
3: No, I I I think too that, that like that logger bit. There's there's a bit of it that's just so 1980s British to running through it, where it's like if you don't have that context, it's just not going to work. Mm. So the comedy. There's some really strong elements in there, but there's some of it that's so, so regional and so time-specific that you really need a history class oh, before you can uh, appreciate yeah,
2: it. I'm not, I'm not sure about that because, you know, the craft the whole craft beer thing now that we're going through, the craft beer resurgence. I mean, there's a whole, like, kind of, there's a lot of comedy bits about, about how pretentious the craft
3: is. Yeah, it's just, it, it's, it's a lot of, it's like, it's about a 50-50 mix, I find with that, with his material in this album, where it's like, some of it is just timeless, and then some of it is just super specific. So, like the 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 tampon ads. Like, if you didn't know that that was illegal, mm-hmm. that entire bit makes no, doesn't make. Well, it it works, but it doesn't make as much sense. And that just gives it that extra boost if you know, like, the concept of the watershed hour in the UK television and the the their hyper oversensitive censorship bureaus that were acted into like the 90s you know where they where certain music wouldn't be allowed to be played and certain television was restricted in certain ways um so it, it's yeah there, there's specificness and then there's also a broadness to it's going on. it's sort of like a weird balance so because there's some stuff it's like oh that works today and then it's like i don't quite get that but also uh one thing that wouldn't work today is as i
0: said the it's not about him, almost none of this is about him, yeah. mm-hmm. even when he's sort of talking about something that could be it was be very personal, like the male fear of getting an erection at the wrong time he's not talking- doesn't feel like it's about something that's deep inside him he feels it feels like he's being very general and trying to bring everybody in on it and it's not about him, it's about us
3: do you think that's um The North American alternative comedy scene really strayed heavily into the confessional style comedy. Mm -hmm. So you get that much more personal story to the point where you have acts today like Maria Bamford, who is taking her, her mental health issues and using that as fodder for jokes in a very personal and powerful way. Whereas it seems like the British side of things, it, that wasn't necessarily the case. So do you think that's just innate, something in the difference yeah, of... Yeah, the
2: British don't want to talk about themselves. <laughs> they, they, they,
3: they don't. They but just, it, mean. just want to talk about yeah. everybody else. But it's, yeah.
1: but it's interesting, though, because it, it he's not saying this happens to me, and yet there's a way in his delivery that it just, it it feels like he's saying me too.
3: Oh, yeah. it's, it's, it's yeah. It very much feels like, I'm not going to admit right. that I got an erection on the beach, <laughs> but guys get erections on the beach. And it's, it's that, that uh, he's not saying he did it, but he's not saying he didn't do it, kind of thing. And it's, it's, it's interesting, which again is sort of like the passive voice that very much makes up the British dialogue, of uh, 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 you know, where it's like, oh, well, thank you, kind of thing, where it's like, yeah, how can you say thank you and yet come away like feeling insulted? Like how can you receive that? It's like, so it's <laughs> that, that very much talking around the actual point Um, so it's, it's interesting. I don't know if that's like a North American thing that we're much more direct in, in that, because it's the same kind of underlying topics that are getting, coming out of those two, like Bill Hicks, which I guess be a contemporary, is talking about the same kinds of issues with a sort of more, like, and and in, in the similar angry, more libertarian tone, um, but he very much personalizes his material, is from his perspective, whereas this is the same kind of material and the same kind of voice in a passive voice in some ways, where it's, you know, like, you know, I you know, I, I, I don't want to talk about me, but I'm going to talk about me anyways, but it's not really about me, but it is about me. Mm-hmm. It's just so so it's, w- which
2: one works, better for you.
3: I don't know. They both work in different ways. I don't think the one's better or worse. They're just different. It's you know, like a different flavor of lager. Um, <laughs> like, so, you know, one has a nice nice aroma and nice smooth taste, and another has you know, a nice aftertaste. So, I don't think either is right. And I think it comes down to who's doing it, too. Like some people are better at it than others. Like, you know, I, this holds up well, but I've, I've recently listened to some Bill Hicks work, that doesn't hold up as well.
2: Hmm.
3: So, I th- and, and, and maybe it's, it's that difference in, in the, the the way they're delivering that narrative. It's the same message delivered in a similar fashion, but with that one key difference, and maybe that what well, that's what makes the difference between how they hold up.
0: Possibly, it's also speaking to his what his strength as a writer is. Like he made his reputation on writing characters and situations, and mm-hmm. His stand-up could be done by anyone. Anyone could, pro- could step in and say his stuff, and it's not it doesn't have to be Ben Elton doing it. Yeah. Uh, but someone like Bill Hicks, he probably couldn't do anybody else's writing. He could only do what he does. So the reason that we talk about Ben Elton now is probably not this stand-up album. It's because we love Blackadder. It's because we love his other things. So that's, I guess, where his strength is, is putting... Thoughts into another person's brain, and then if he's on his own, it—the kind of thoughts that anybody could say that could occur to anyone—which
3: makes it interesting. Like so, much, you know, as he is a writer who wrote for others, and within the industry, even in the '80s, it was still com- very common for people to write jokes for other people. It would have almost been interesting to see somebody else deliver this material, mm-hmm. like how it would have played out, because. You know he he's aware of the craft of creating a joke and a setup and a punchline and everything. Would it have been better coming out of somebody else's mouth, possibly?
0: Kind of like if Paul Mooney actually delivered the material he wrote for Eddie Murphy's.
3: Exactly, it? exactly. It's
0: all raw and delirious. It's just it's just a Paul Mooney album performed covered by Eddie Murphy.
3: Yeah.
1: It's interesting too. I wonder about how the comedy nowadays. So many of the comedians. You know they're 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 putting it all on themselves, right? But also it's like we gravitate towards that now in our society where we we focus on not just the comedy coming out of the comedian, but the comedian themselves. Yeah. It's really focused on them personally. We want to know about them. Yeah. You know this kind of society where we're examining into people's lives so deeply.
3: Well, you, you uh, last month we did Patton Oswalt's uh, Werewolves and Lollipops. His most recent special, you know, was possibly one of the most powerfully funny but also emotional pieces of comedy that I've ever watched. Which was all about, you know, it, a good half of it's you know oh, him being funny, him being Patton, but then the last half is all about the tragic loss of his wife's mm-hmm. life. You know, 20 years ago, I can't think of any comedian who would have got up and made that the core of their their act. Their hour-long special, it just it it, and that's an interesting change. And is there, you know, is it the social the realities of a supposed social media world where now the audience isn't happy enough just hearing the jokes? Now we need to like know all the dirty laundry mm-hmm. and pain and heartache that a person goes through. Like, yeah. has, has that shifted comedy in general
1: possibly? It's the reality TV shows, right? Yes, <laughs> we want the inside scoop. Kay. Uh, And any other thoughts before we take a a little short break?
0: Uh, I guess just that same sort of shift. Also, the public perception of Ben Elton, at least in the UK, is kind of shifted against him. He's sort of, if you want to talk about a comedian that you don't like, you might mention Ben Elton because... He, his reputation now is he's the guy who works with Andrew Lloyd Webber. He yes. wrote a sequel, The Phantom of the Opera.
2: His last sitcom, uh, The Right Way, was just absolutely tragically mm-hmm. terrible.
0: Right.
3: But at the but same time, you, you look at what's popular in England right now, and it's people like Jimmy Carr, who, interesting enough, it kind of feels like a throwback to the Ben Forsythe kind of yeah. era of comedy. So it's almost like the pendulum has swung mm-hmm. all the way back to wanting lighter fare out of, out of their comedians in the UK but then we still get like you know, I don't know like a Fleabag or Chewing Gum uh, mm-hmm. both per, very personal very powerful very class-centered narratives um, that are unflinching and so it's an inter- it's an interesting I think there's a, a war of culture going on in the UK right now but with their comedians
2: both those things you mentioned are, are, are written and, and Driven women.
3: Yes. Oh, yeah. And and that seems to be some of the strongest voices in comedy right now. In a lot of ways, across the board, is we're getting the most truth to power from from voices that traditionally have been ignored by the, the a lot of power brokers. And I think that's a great thing that that they're we're seeing these these things getting more recognized. And you know, I think to a degree. Ben Elton's work in the '80s is a part of that. It's what sort of begun the the, the you know the snowball rolling down the hill of Shift. getting recognition for voices that are not forty five year old men who know some guy at the BBC <laughs> who uh, you know cover up all of their misdeeds. kind right. of thing. <laughs> But then he started with a an old fashioned BBC job when he's yeah, then he got Then he got rich.
1: <laughs> also, why does everyone hate Andrew Lloyd Webber? Uh. <laughs> okay, well, maybe we'll save that one for after the break. We're going to take a short break here, folks. Uh, we encourage all of our audience members to uh, give us some questions for our panelists uh, for after the break. Thank you so much for listening to Comedy Album Book Club. We'll be right back. comedy album book club is recorded live on the first thursday of every month at the social capital theater in toronto ontario canada join us won't you we listen to the album at eight fifteen p.m and then we record the panel discussion for the podcast tickets are pay what you can with some proceeds going to covenant house canada's largest agency for at-risk homeless and trafficked youth for more details please visit us at comedyalbumbookclub.com we're also on facebook twitter and your favorite podcast app feel free to send suggestions for future guests or albums I'm Jason DeLine. Thanks for listening. Woo! Okay. Welcome back to the second half of Comedy Album Book Club. We're going to take some uh, questions from the audience here. Well, I've taken them already. They're actually in my hands. Mm -hmm. So nobody has to get up. Uh, we're going to start with one here. Um, if I knew nothing about Ben Elton before coming tonight, what is the number one thing of his I should look into?
0: Blackadder, right? Blackadder? Black yeah, Blackadder. <laughs> <laughs> season two.
3: Uh, four. I, actually, That's I'd kind say unanimous, season four though. of Blackadder. If you had to really nail it down to one, it would be season World, The World, 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 World War I right? yeah. series, Absolutely. yeah, that would be the, the penultimate but, piece of You know, of work. if
2: you're looking for a fix for a season three of Blackadder, the Upstart Crow series that he wrote two years ago, uh, the Shakespeare sitcom is actually very good too.
1: Great. Unanimous. That was easy.
0: It's one of the greatest sitcoms of all time, probably.
2: Yeah. It's everyone the young one the young one the young or... is also worth yeah. worth checking out if you can find it.
0: It's on YouTube. It is all on YouTube. It's very easy. <laughs> Everything's on YouTube. <laughs> it is very easy to find.
1: Is his comedy timeless? Or if you removed all the shouting, would it just be an infantile set of observations? there's so much shouting What do you guys think about that?
0: He's an angry post-punk 80s labor supporter who's angry at Margaret Thatcher mm-hmm. and that is absolutely what his stand-up is
3: yeah. like if you if you put him in a musical context, I'd, I'd say he'd be kind of like you know Elvis Costello. Or right, right. It, it, Elvis Costello is about <laughs> uh, Elvis Costello, Joe Jackson, and oh, who was the other one? Was it Andy Partridge? But they they were referred to as the Angry Young Men mm-hmm. of of punk, of rock and roll, mm-hmm. and and I think that's the core there. Like you can't really remove the yelling because the yelling is almost an expression of what he's trying to say. It's that anger that drives the joke. So, yes, removing the yelling, it would seem infantile and just pointless. But the yelling is is part of the structure almost.
2: Right. Like Sam Kinison, no yelling? But that's what yeah,
3: Sam Kinison, no yelling. is just a really big guy with a bad cocaine addiction on stage.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and it's part of the point is to be different than the uh, old-fashioned, I'm here to introduce the band and also tell you a few jokes kind of stuff so i don't think people today would enjoy the yelling but so yeah it's not necessarily that it's very much of its time and place i don't know
2: people love lewis black and that's similar it's very similar Mm. it's true
1: it didn't bother me at all no not not in the slightest Uh, there were admittedly i would have to listen to it again to understand half of what he was saying (laughs) at some points just because with the accent and you know the yelling and the quick speech i, I lost some of it well, but it's also
2: a way that he personalized it right like he's i'm angry about this like this is not joke. this is not a joke that's confessing about me but it's what i'm angry about so i think you connect to him through the
3: anger
1: mm-hmm. yeah. and, especially when it's politically charged yeah. yeah
3: and like if you look at Kennison, i don't like Kennison. yeah i, I yeah, like, as a human being and as a comedian like everything i've heard about him as a human being i'm like this is not a nice guy as a comedian, his act never resonated with me. Whereas, like, I do get, like, I could, I can, I listen to this album and they're laughing there. You know, it, it's like, okay, I can see where he was going with this. Whereas, so, I mean, you know, like, if mean, you remove the yelling from Kinnison, he doesn't, it doesn't work, mm-hmm. but there's nothing underneath that. Whereas, I think if you remove the yelling, it's, it's a different situation here. <laughs>
1: Our audience member said that if you remove the yelling, you get lukewarm '90s observational humor.
3: It's of its time and place. <laughs> but given that this was 1987, wouldn't that be sort of ahead of its time? Yeah, and also, is well, it
0: seemingly, at least to me, uh, his political views seemed very much ahead of its time. But that always has a clock on it, and you can be ahead of your time. For 20 years, but then 30 years on, there's get, we're going to be a lot more things that will come out glaringly. Like there, there's even things in the, this talk of penises that probably wouldn't get through today, and it will only get worse as time goes on. As everything I say now will get worse as time goes on, and a lot of things I say are probably <laughs> bad for now. So,
1: <laughs> well, but you got to still say it, right? You got to still do the jokes. I don't have to. Why do
0: I do it? No, you have to. <laughs> it's you so- have to. <laughs> <laughs>
1: All right, uh, moving on. Well, it's I guess sign it kind of in the same vein. Uh, next question is, would you call him a, a drunken intellectual? He seemed abrasive to me. He definitely mm-hmm.
0: wants to be seen that way. Yeah. Uh, he very much comes from, he wants to be a left-wing working class type, but his family are all academics. Right. And he went to Manchester University yeah. to take drama, which is that that's about as far as you can get without going that extra step and going to Cambridge.
3: It's I, I think he wants to. It, the drunken intellectual is as much a character as Stephen Colbert's Colbert show, Stephen Colbert was a character. It's a construct, and I think that's very much to appeal to the audience that he was working with. Like that he he's preaching to lower class individual like by the British definition of lower cost. So basically, people, the working poor, or, you know, of the time, and he's doing it in a language that will resonate with them. So, so yeah, it definitely feels like that you know, drunken intellectual, but I think that's very much a construct, especially given, you know, he later went on to, you know, work with Sir Andrew Lloyd Webber. So <laughs> you, you can't get much more posh than it. Andrew Lloyd Webber.
0: I also know from personal experience, you have to be very careful in a comedy club about pr- how you present yourself. I did a showcase once when I did stand up a long time ago, uh, and one of the notes that came back was, "It's burned into my mind. Your jacket and references to Voltaire make you unrelatable." <laughs> <laughs> so not just
3: the Voltaire references your jacket as well it was it was just a black corduroy jacket I like that. but did it have on like the the, the the little patches no it should not have a oh, man of the people okay.
1: <laughs> I'm sure
2: I would have I like that your jacket was more offensive than
1: Voltaire.
3: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. the jacket was number one item
1: <laughs> what, what was wrong with the jacket i
0: I don't I think I was just more dressed up than the other people there
3: on
1: the oh. showcase so yeah.
3: Yes, I had a hat on. Oh, they'd have hated Paul F. Tompkins. Oh, yes.
1: (laughs) (laughs) All right, moving on. Uh, Here we go. With so many comedians, including Ben Elton, working in so many diverse areas, do you think it's necessary for comedians to do so much to make a name for themselves? Is it necessary for comedians to be actors, writers, directors, musicians, etc.?
0: If you want the money, yes. (laughs)
1: I think that's more
2: of a British thing, too, because, you know, you think of like Stephen Fry, like Stephen Fry writes novels, he does radio shows, he does documentaries, he does quiz shows, you know, all kinds of stuff. I I think the British comedians tend to want to explore more that way. Like, I don't think, like, there's very few that I can think of. Uh, Mark Steele's one, for example. Mark Steele is a socialist comedian, sort of came out of Ben Elton, and he's a very left-wing comedian. All he wants to do is be a stand-up. He said, I don't, he writes his own material, but he doesn't want to write novels. He doesn't want to act and anything. But I don't think there's a, I think there's more, as television and things become more popular, I think British comedian stand ups, they, they want to be characters on TV shows. They want mm-hmm. to, to write novels and do other things.
3: I think to a degree there's a, a work ethic in British, the British entertainment industry that is different than a North American entertainment industry. Like you look at, let's see, Anthony Hawkins brilliant actor like completely genius who's been in some of the shittiest movies of all Michael, Michael time Kane, Michael, Caine. Michael Caine's another yeah. one you know like who doesn't love Michael Caine but then you watch like I don't, you know some of the disc, dreck and they'll just they'll do a job you know Patrick Stewart's another example and it's on and on and on like Patrick Stewart literally parodying himself in extras as a creepy hmm. guy who just wanted to see people make it it's like it's like
1: there's nothing wrong with that. <laughs> no, I, mean, I, I can't
3: imagine many North American like comi- like actors like Patrick Stewart. If I had to think of you know, I don't know an equivalent. I just don't see them being willing to take those kinds of have that broad range. They're like oh, I'm doing this one thing and I'm doing it well, and this is how I'm doing. So I, di- I think it's almost like a, a difference in the the industry and how. They, and, you know, you see you see a person in Broadchurch who's then, like, in a sketch comedy show, who's then in a news parody show, and then is in, like, Doctor Who kind of thing. So it's like right. they, they will work and do anything because they enjoy working and doing anything. But also you
0: can make more of a living as a, just a touring stand-up in North America. Just the, the economics of yeah, it yeah, yeah. make it viable to do that. But I also know very few stand-ups who don't have a podcast.
3: It's true. Yeah. Has has the podcast become the new song and dance or yeah. for well
0: the podcast is a new web series. Everybody had a web series five years ago and
2: yeah. I think I was, I was thinking in the UK too, like they will rarely build a TV sitcom around a stand-up comedian. They'll build a TV sitcom around the stand-up comedian's character. Yeah. You know, well, like Steve you, Delaney, for example, did Encounter yeah. count Arthur Strong. They'll build a sitcom out like that.
3: And in a way, if you look at Ricky Gervais, he's kind of like Ben Elton was writing stuff and then was doing stand-up right like so ricky gervais is kind of the same way he was an extra who then eventually mm-hmm. had the office and extras and then he did the stand-up like the stand-up was secondary so it's it's like a different, it's like an inverse structure whereas like in the 80s in, in north american comedy clubs is like you you do your hour somebody sees you you get an nbc sitcom that, that was that was the the dream, or you get on SNL, um, but it's it's almost like an inverse structure in the in the UK.
1: I would say too, as as someone who's who's an actor, and I can also add in writer and producer and comedian. You know, it, it's one of those. I think when when you have so much that you want to give, you you want to do everything if you can. I mean, not everybody can do it well, but I think if you if you have the time, I mean, he seemed to have the time. I guess he he is married and has kids and everything, but it doesn't necessarily mean that he's busy. Yeah. You know, <laughs> you don't always know what's going on there. But um, yeah, so I think to answer the question is it is it necessary for comedians to do so much to make a name for themselves? I don't think necessarily you can. It can happen in in different ways. Uh, some just like to do more than others, I guess. Oh, Speaking of him doing um, so many things, the sequel to Phantom of the Opera, Love Never Dies, is on tour right now, oh, everyone. Uh, currently uh, going to play in Buffalo June 5th to 10th. <laughs> wants I'm slightly road, <laughs> <curious. laughs> road trip. That's not How do you write me. a
0: sequel to Phantom of the Opera? Is it the
3: son of one of the people that the chandelier fell on over? <laughs> <revenge>? <laughs> so w- and then would Phantom of the Paradise be like the no. the future flash forward into the future what? of the Phantom of the Opera? Like what's the family? Phantom of Paradise? Use the
2: alternate universe oh, it version. Is of-
3: is it um, is a thing of 1970s pop, 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 Paul, Paul Williams, Paul Williams. The guy who wrote Rainbow Connection for Kermit. Most beautiful song of all time. Absolutely. Uh,
0: Can you
1: he, sing a little bit in case the people at home don't know what that song is? <laughs> oh, no,
3: no. That, I, I, I will we'll not inflict in. that on anyone. If you've
2: never seen Phantom of Paradise by Brian De Palma, go out. Go and, and see it. Brian it frickin' De
3: Palma. Like, <laughs> like, what the hell? Did it, like, it's this weird... 1970s, like, evil opera. Satan rock so you know opera. it's tasteful. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. very tasteful. It's it like
2: Tommy with a bit more story. Yeah.
1: Yeah.
3: yeah.
2: A little bit more,
1: <laughs> not much, but... Okay. So are we doing a road trip, then? Is, it, is that decided? <laughs> <laughs> All right. game. All right, moving on. Uh, I guess we, we kind of covered this before the break, but it'll but be interesting to talk about it a little bit more. Is Ben Elton still relevant
2: Not according to reviews of his last sitcom. Um, They were calling him the unfunniest man in Britain. The Guardian said he's completely lost it.
3: Right. Which was very interesting. So yeah, I'd say maybe his old stuff is still relevant in a way, in in, in some ways. His modern new stuff, not so much. I would think
0: of Robin Williams as perhaps uh, something to go by where for the last 15 years of Robin Williams's life, he was making progressively less well-reviewed movies, and mm-hmm. he, his style was seen as, oh, he's too frenetic, you can't just jump around and yell things anymore, That you can't do what you're doing, and he was seen as, if you want to talk about a hack, old guy who's out of touch, you mentioned Robin Williams, and then when tragedy struck, immediately everybody is talking about how much they loved Robin Williams, mm-hmm. and how important he was to them, and what a big influence he was on right. everybody. So, Maybe there's some of that that would happen.
2: Yeah, Ben will get a good obituary.
0: Yeah. So, Glowing <laughs> oh, uh, ad- <laughs> no, endorsement. He
2: will. He'll be known as the writer of
0: Black My Black advice to Ben Elton now <laughs> is to die. <laughs> oh, it's the best oh, career, can movie movie can career move he can make. Good career move. Yeah. Good career move. Yeah. It's a smart move. It's a very smart move.
1: Um, you were talking about the right way, right, in terms of his bad reviews. I did just uh, look him up on IMDb, and he has done some things since then, because that was in 2014. Oh, Upstart Crow. 2012.
2: Upstart Crow is good. You've seen it? Yeah, and that was just like two years ago, but...
1: But you still don't think he's relevant? Uh, not quite sure. <laughs> Jury's out. Undecided. Uh, will he be remembered?
2: When he dies? Oh yeah, Blackadder. One of the top sitcoms ever.
3: Yeah, I, I think he's made an indelible stamp on just comedy in, in large through... Things like the young ones, which revolutionary, but it's, it's kind of the, the rush of comedy. You know, every but every musician listened to like Rush, and then went on to like oh, to do something like the, awesome, Velvet the, the underground, Velvet yeah, underground kind of, of thing. Rush, you know, these sort of like these niche pieces of work that just shaped. Like so, you know, if you're not from you know Scarborough. You probably aren't a big fan of Rush, but a lot of prog rock and 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 that kind of experimental music, Rush, Velvet Underground, like you know, you know Sex Pistols, they went on to shape things to come. And I think Ben Elton's a lot like that, like you know, Black Adder, you know, Young Ones. These are these are things that definitely will leave an indelible stamp on, on comedy that follows.
0: Also indirectly responsible for
3: Love Actually, because if Blackadder doesn't continue um. on, does Richard Curtis make all of
0: those Hugh Grant movies? <laughs> 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 so we have no. him to thank
3: yeah, for Notting movie. Hill. Yeah, that's a mixed <laughs> blessing. You know, I'm not sure on that that's one. <laughs>
1: notting Hill, but not Love Actually. Wasn't... Rowan Atkinson in love, actually. Oh yeah. Yes. oh yeah!
3: Oh yeah! Oh, he steals
0: the show. Oh yeah! Oh yeah! Okay. The
1: store with the yes, right I had, away, right away. I
0: have a huge <laughs> soft spot for Richard Curtis movies. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> Last question here, but I had a question. Well, we'll move on to this one first. Um, what did he bring to comedy that nobody else had? Was there?
0: Um, what he brought, I think, to. Uh, alternative comedy, which Rick Mayall was the co-writer on Young Ones, and he was brought in specifically because he had an alternative comedy sense, but he could also structure a script. So, It's the anarchy and the order.
1: Do you think he's better at the writing than he is at the performing, than he is at the stand-up? Um... If you had to tell him he could only pursue one career from here on out. I'd <laughs> just stick right. to writing. Yeah. 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 yeah.
0: After I tell him he should die.
3: Oh, God. <laughs>
1: <laughs> please, please don't die. If <laughs> Do you can't die, be, just at least
3: stick to writing. Uh, I really album, hope he survives at least for like another <laughs> two week, months interview so this interview doesn't with come ben out. Album.
1: <laughs> comedy <laughs> Album Book Club will not be held responsible for the death of Ben Elton. <laughs> well, I don't have to say this. <laughs> <laughs> um, Neil... You, you're saying you, your family is from England? Uh, Wales. Wales, yeah, yeah. pardon me. Um, do you think that there's uh, more of an appreciation, or appreciation, I think you were saying with that? You know, for? For Ben? In the UK? Yeah. Compared yeah, to yeah. My,
2: my my friend Bill was in the UK when uh, Ben was uh, at his peak in the, in the touring, and his show
3: was sold out all the time. So right. He was really popular. and Eighty-seven, eighty-eight, eighty-nine. How long was his stint on SNL? Because he was on SNL briefly.
1: As a writer?
3: Uh, I think he did some performance stuff. Saturday Night Live? Yeah, Saturday had, Night Live. Saturday Night Live, which was a British show. No, no, he was on Saturday Night Live oh, briefly. Alton?
2: Yeah. He was a writer on Saturday
3: Night I believe he was a writer on Saturday Night Live briefly.
0: I
1: think I it... did not know this. No, I think... It was Saturday, Saturday Night. Live. Oh,
0: Saturday because Live. they stole the name and then had to change it. Because that was something that he definitely was a part of, which was a British show in the late 80s uh, called Saturday Live. I think they also called it Saturday Night Live at some points, too. Uh, that might be where the confusion is coming from. Yeah. Some good Spry and Laurie bits from that show on you. Well, Saturday
2: Live's not funny now, so Ben Elton might be writing. Well. <laughs> oh, yeah. that's true. <laughs> it's okay. will be there.
1: You're allowed to be confused. I got really excited when I read about his early life and education and thought that and saw he was a descendant from Martin Luther, and I was like, Martin Luther oh my God.
2: No, no, the
0: other important part. Yeah, exactly. He's just yelling at he's yelling at the <laughs> cathedral at worms. <laughs> and another thesis I had.
1: Nail this to the door. But he is actually third cousin of singer Olivia Newton John. Oh. And third Sanity. cousin, like third. One, first cousin third or moon? i don't know oh
3: well, yeah and summer loving and, yeah xanadu, oh, xanadu had I... roller <laughs> skates man like come on don't is watch anyone movie, gonna
1: sing no xanadu. xanadu oh there we go <laughs>
3: hey it's Jeff the yellow i kind of
0: like yeah
1: so sorry we're out of time folks but um
3: <laughs> correct
0: uh, check
1: out our next podcast the xanadu show <laughs> we are going to wrap things up here but um just some final words we'll start with you kyle
0: I absolutely adore the shows that he worked on in the 80s, and as much as I'm not interested in some of the things he's doing now, he still has a lifetime pass for me. Like, you can make as many awful jukebox musicals as you want. <laughs> you wrote Blackadder 3. All
1: right. Matt?
3: I, I think this was really an interesting listen. It's it, like, given his broad uh, body of work, it's it, it was neat to see something from a different period of his life presented in a way that you know I'm not used to consuming his work. And uh, yeah, I think it was cool. And it's definitely, I'm gonna have to check out his ne- net motivation, his next album. Mm-hmm.
1: So. That's right, because this is one of two. Yes. Yeah. And I think the the next one is just made a year later.
3: Yeah. Yeah. It was, I, well, I think Pretty it was he recorded them almost back to back From what I understand like, And like The only ways I could see it online to get it Were to buy these like $180 Double vinyl sets of both albums well, which I need the 180
0: gram deep groove version Or I'm not listening
4: Neil? <laughs> <laughs>
2: yeah. um, I would say if you want to know another side of Ben Elton um, He's actually an environmental activist too Check out uh, the novel Stark I think it's his first or second novel It's quite
4: good
1: did you read it? Yeah. yeah. Have you Have you read any of his other? Yeah, he wrote I've read fifteen, about 12, right? Ten of them, I
2: think. Wow. They, they <laughs> get progressively worse. <laughs> oh, <as well>. no. <laughs> but, but so, so much plus, like but, his comedy. But Stark is Stark is Stark is <laughs> quite good. It's a post apocalyptic environmental message kind of thing. Cool, it's
1: good. Very cool. Thanks, thanks for sharing that. Okay, well, that's our show. A big thank you to my guests um i'm going to tell you how you can follow them and and listen to more and see more hear more of what they've got going on so we've got neil jones and you can look for radio project x on facebook to find him uh matt ardill you can follow him on twitter at at common person and kyle scott you can find him on twitter at g kyle scott And I'm Helena Marie. You can find me on Twitter at underscore Helena Marie. Or you can follow our regular host, who is homesick today, Mr. Jason DeLine at Jason DeLine at Twitter. And remember, you can find us on iTunes, Google Play, or your favorite podcast app, as well as at ComedyAlbumBookClub.com, on Twitter at CABC Podcast, and on Facebook. Subscribe, review, and ask questions or suggest future guests and albums. We record the show live after listening to the album on the first Thursday of every month here at the Social Capital Theatre. And our proceeds always go to Toronto Covenant House, Canada's largest homeless youth agency. Next month, we're back at 8 p.m. on May 3rd when we'll find out why Jason's guest, comedian Derek Forge, chose the 1997 album Arizona Bay by Bill Hicks. By the way, this is Jason who wrote this for me. That's why I can't read it. Until Uh then, I'm your guest host, Helena Marie. Thank you so much for listening to Comedy Album Book Club.
3: My condolences to the Elton family.